sound like he's entering a wrestling ring. That's right. We're a Riverdale recap podcast here to talk about chapter 1121, Blue Collar. Or maybe like Crazy Taxi, like Choose Your Driver voice. That's also that. Written by James DeWill and Arabella Anderson, directed by Tara Defoe. I mean, I guess it makes sense they use the same voice for those two things. Yeah. It's the professional wrestling of driving games. Yes. Yes. Uh, this episode starts with uh, Jughead's voiceover, which mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if you remember we did not have last time, which but is it's very back. strange, but it is back. Uh, and he is telling us that uh, there is a war between Percival and Archie, in case you haven't been watching any of this fucking season. But it's also a war between uh, respect and exploitation of the working man. Yes. Which is new. I mean, not new last week, but it's new that we're saying it out loud. Yes. Man, did we just really dive into that this episode? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so this starts with we like, went from unions take your money to unions good. <laughs> I I have to rescind all of my complaints uh, on that point from last week because it is now clear that there, it was a setup payoff situation. Who knew? Who knew? It's not often that this show has the same thing happen in two consecutive episodes. <laughs> Yes, normally we say it and then we forget it ever happened for like five years, and then we randomly decide to bring it up again. The, the exquisite corpse nature of uh, uh, Riverdale's season pacing uh, does does work against us sometimes, but this time it, they did the normal thing and we were caught unawares. Whoa, who would have thought? So this opening narration, it, it is over like a, a swinging sort of steady cam shot through the workyard for building the train line. Which is Laying just down the rails. Like through Sketch Alley. Yes, yes. And so the first scene that it leads into is, is Percival and Frank. Does Frank have any spoken lines in this episode? Frank says nothing He's... except where's my team later. He says very little, but he shows up a lot. And what he's not saying, because Percival is, is, uh, uh, hey, uh, all this equipment, rental fees add up. And so uh, uh, if you want to use it, that is coming out of your wages before they are paid to you. So just heads up, everybody. And Fangs is there on the work crew like, oh, yeah, those wages that are already lower than you promised to begin with? Huh? Huh? Percival just points out that they are paying in accordance with the market and the way things are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know what? Fuck that. Yeah. So over at what I am calling Pops Royale. Pops Royale, yes. Um, we're having a little meeting between Tabitha, Archie, and Cheryl. Why is Cheryl here? Cheryl would like to know that. <laughs> like This whole scene, she is like, why am I here? Like, do you want me to do something about the ghost train? The weird shit? Because I don't know why I need to sit through the rest of this scene. She literally says, why am I here? I understand why she's narratively here. She gets a task which she then performs. But like, who invited Cheryl in a a character sense? She is there because she helped, her and Heather helped bring the ghosts. 
That's right. She's very tied to the fate of Pops and the ghosts and the ghost train. Yes. That we all learned about. Yes. Okay. And and she is there specifically without Heather because Heather is taking the bus from Greendale. <laughs> and it is late. Uh-huh, uh-huh. She was supposed to join. So yeah, it is a little bit about the metaphysical concerns happening and a little bit about the very material concerns that, that are happening. Yeah. Tabitha's trying to get Archie to like go talk to his old crew to mm-hmm, convince mm-hmm. them to like stop working for Percival. And he's like, they haven't had work in months. And I'm like, man, Archie, maybe if you actually like, I don't know, kept your construction business actually <laughs> operating instead of having like five other jobs, they would have had jobs. Well, but who's like- going to hire them to build anything in this town? The last time we had a real estate developer, he wasn't actually developing real estate. He was doing five crimes at once. And Archie has to point out that, like, Percival's bad and Mm -hmm, mm anti-union. And, uh, you know, he's trying to break the spirit and the resolve of the workers. And And he needs to do some old-fashioned agitation. And Tabitha's like, yeah, it makes perfect sense because unions are about, like, unity and mutual support. And and, uh, Percival's all about control. And Cheryl also adds... Also Tweed. He's all about Tweed. (laughs) Well, the whole time she's sitting there and she's like, okay, so like, let's remember that there's a fight for Riverdale's soul. Mm -hmm. So like, what weird shit am I going to be involved with? Because like this union shit, like, I don't give a shit. But I do care about Percival getting a a dominion over the souls of the living and the damned. That seems, that seems pretty rough. Um, so they suggest, you know, well, the Blossoms and the Pickens have a long history. So, like, you know, can she go see if there's anything there? And she's like, oh, yes. Well, you know, me and a friend are categorizing the uh, Blossom archives. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's perfect timing. So they they decide, basically, that the best way to stop this evil uh, invader trying to to destroy our way of life and and conquer us all is to have uh, uh, his work crew go on strike. Another parallel to Aura Battler Dunbine between this and (laughs) Betty having literal aura power. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe somebody in the writer's room is real into early 80s isekai. I'm just saying. And Tabitha's way for them to win over the crew is that she has heard that Pickens is making them pay for their own coffee. Which is bullshit. So she's like, you know what we should do? We should take the pop truck down there and give away free coffee and get them on our side. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let, let them know that there's more where that came from over at Pops Royale, which is going to be the seat of the resistance. It, it's going to be their union hall, essentially. So we got Pop Royale. Yeah. Got the Pop Truck. Yes, which parks inside the El Royale. We see it indoors. They, they didn't have to install like a garage door or anything. There's just a big hole missing in one of the walls. Well, it's the same way that the fire truck got in and out. Mm-hmm. The big hole in one of the yeah. walls. Yeah. Uh, so Agent Drake is meeting with Betty and Veronica, uh, specifically about Veronica's powers. And yeah, she's like... Yeah. So, like, did anything traumatizing happen when you got your powers? And if Veronica was a real person, she would have been like, does anything not traumatizing happen? (laughs) So, yeah, Agent Drake is just on the superpower beat. She's just going around person to person. Maybe she'll be meeting with Jughead next time. I don't know. 
So, so Veronica explains, well, yeah, my father died. And she's like, oh, yes, Hiram, I knew him. From her ATF days. See, uh, uh, back before she was, you know, the, the X-Files leather jacket cool agent. She was tracking the Jingle Jangle. She was tracking him on Jingle Jangle and also, also ran into him when her beat was the underground absinthe smugglers. And Veronica's like, wait a minute, I thought absinthe was legal. And and Agent Drake, of course, an expert in the field, says, ah, 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 some absinthe is legal that meets FDA regulations, but there are absinthe purists who want to make it with real and poisonous wormwood, and that stuff is illegal because it's poison. I'd try it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so she also goes on to let Veronica know that, you know, she's looked over Veronica's blood work, and Veronica is, like, totally one of the healthiest people that she's ever dis- seen, despite the toxins that are just, like, oozing from her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They are interrupted by Betty getting a phone call from Alice. Very urgent. She rushes off before we even know what it is. She, she barges in the front door, says, where is he, and goes up to find Charles. Charles lying in Betty's old bed. Hooked up to a medical machine. Yeah, an an IV drip with some sort of monitor of something or other. Yeah. Charles is looking bad. I was so confused when this scene ended because I didn't know who it was. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's hard to recognize. It's been a long time since we've seen him and we've never seen him, you know, from that angle, you know? Yeah, I was like, who the fuck is that? Have we we ever seen uh, Charles under the chin, you know, laying like that? Yeah, it it took me a good little bit to, like, realize who it was and then I was like, oh... Uh, so meanwhile, uh, Kevin is showing Moose his new digs, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. which Moose is like, how do you afford this? He's got a sugar daddy in Percival. Yes. Percival is finally paying for him to get an apartment away from his dad. How much are we paying cops in this town? <laughs> it takes a sheriff and a deputy to support one household in Rivervale. Riverdale. Whichever. I thought you liked your dad. <laughs> like, what? And the whole thing is, he's like, well, yeah, like, I, I needed to get away from that. So, like, Percival's mind controlling him, obviously. And but then he also needs it for permanent residence so yes. he can, like, get the baby. And I'm kind of like, man, I don't know. I feel like your permanent residence with your dad to show that you have a supportive, like, network of people might help. Again, you are not a family court judge. He's just going to be like, oh, well, these two have a house in their name. They might be like three years back on their mortgage or whatever we're saying about their situation this week. But at least they have one. Moose Moose seems like very uh, concerned that Kevin is still going through with this custody case, Mm -hmm. but doesn't say much. We get, I mean, we get the most Moose we've seen since high school, frankly, in this episode. No, we got that episode where Moose came back. I suppose. I had a lot more moose than this one. I think this one edges it out. I don't know. I don't want to sit uh, and watch them both with with stopwatches. Moose had more lines in the other one this season. But what I was going to say is his purpose is to just be like the little angel on Kevin's shoulder. The, The little like line back to reality. Like, hey, take a look around at what you're doing and what your actions are doing. Are you sure? Are you really sure? He still had more lines in the other episode. <laughs> so Betty and Alice are like 
having a little chat where they're like, what's going on with Charles? And this is where I was like, oh, it was Charles. <laughs> uh, and apparently Charles has, like, leukemia or something. He has some sort of severe blood poisoning of a mysterious nature. Uh, and he's dying. And because the prison was, like, overwhelmed, they, they sent him home. Because mm-hmm. that's what you do. He can't run in this state. He could get in, like, a wheelchair and wheel away really fast. I'll I don't say know. It. Every scene we see with Charles, he's about two minutes from death. I'm just saying. So Alice wants them to call a truce and spend some time together in the time they have left. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're uh, the, the last remaining Coopers, I mean. There are the twins there are, that we don't know where they are. They're also dead. I, I'm sorry to say. They, they Betty, forgot to mention it. Betty, Betty also took them to the animal shelter. <laughs> So the Pops truck is handing out the free coffee, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Frank comes along uh, with Kevin and is like, you can't do this. This is against company rules. A food truck handing out free coffee is against company rules? I would like to see your company rules and how specific they are. Tabitha does not engage with it on, like, the, the well, show me in the rule book uh, uh, lane. She just says, ah, well, blow it out your ass. We're just giving out free coffee. Also, 25 cent burgers down at Pops Royale. Just like it was in 1947 when the unions came to town. What? That's really late. That's like really late. You had no unions before then. Like you had a mine? I have to imagine there was some logging, just the just judging logging, by the region. There's apparently canneries. Right? Like, that shit definitely existed back then. Like, what? <laughs> you had n- no unions. Nothing. Nothing. This close. Just a day trip away from New York City and you- That was unionizing shit, like, all over the place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fighting workers' rights and labor laws and whatnot. Like, we got musicals about this shit. Yes, dear. I want an episode that tells me about when Riverdale started putting in fire exits. (laughs) They're going to be like, yes, it was three years ago when the Bijou burned down. You can't say when the unions first came to town and have that date be post-depression. You can't. You just can't. (laughs) Percival is hanging out in Reggie's mind, looking at Reggie's box of comic books. And he comes across the one that Jughead tore a page off of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when he comes out of the mind, he's like, ah, your suspicions were correct. He was definitely in your brain. I, I still love this visual metaphor. It's so good. It's so effective. Like, yeah, he can see the, like, ragged yeah, edges. Yeah. So he knows what happened. It's so good. Yes. And he he's apparently, uh, I like the term he used of his, psych- his psychic fingerprints we're all over your mind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Reggie replies, Hey, uh, weren't you going to teach me magic? <laughs> I want to learn magic. I love how quickly he's just like, yeah, whatever, Jughead was in my brain. Now the magic. <laughs> you said I could be a wizard. I wish to be wizard. Sorcerer mantle. <laughs> let's, let's circle back to this. So Percival's like, ah, yes, yes, yes. And he produces a box and he opens the box. And inside the box is a ventriloquist dummy that looks just like Reggie. And Reggie is very quick on things. And he's like, is that me? (laughs) Uh, And he's like, oh, this is a totem uh, to teach you one of the oldest acts. The art of ventriloquism. 
So tomorrow, when Jughead has his act, he can throw his voice and distract Jughead, and Percival will go into Jughead's mind. In, in order to totally incapacitate him. Yes. I think Percival has unrealistic expectations and uh, expectations of Reggie. I also think that ventriloquy is not magic. He also is counting on <laughs> Reggie being dumb. <laughs> Putting Jughead in a psychic coma is probably also not magic. It could be magic. I don't know where the psychic powers come from. Reggie just wants to know how to pull, like, a bunny out of his hat. Mm -hmm. And all Percival wants him to do is be able to do puppets. Yeah, Reggie is really stuck in, like, circa 2004 pickup artistry. Yes. He needs to learn magic tricks. I want Reggie to eventually learn magic tricks, but I want him to be like, what was that weird-ass dude? That would do, like, the TV specials. And it was always weird shit. The masked magician revealing people's secrets. No. Uh, the amazing Jonathan, the comedy magician. No. Uh, uh, he was, like, a really weird dude. They're all weird. They're but, magicians. But he was, like, he wasn't, like, dorky weird. He was, like, weird. Chris Angel is also dorky weird. That's, no, not him. Are you thinking about the dude who also did the endurance challenges? Like, he'd be in a block of ice for a month? Maybe? He's the one that seemed very, like, socially awkward. They're all socially but, like, awkward not magicians. in a dorky way. David Blaine? Maybe? What's David Blaine look like? Yes, I was thinking of him. Okay. <laughs> but Reggie would want to... Okay, I, that idea scratched that idea, though, because that's not the shit that Reggie wants to do. Reggie wants to do, basically, magic to get pickup girls. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He wants pickup magic. Reggie is going to slice a lot of women in half, and then Betty's going to hear about it and come running. <laughs> that would actually be so funny. He's, like, <laughs> testing out his act, and she thinks there's murder and, like, rushes in with the FBI, and it's just, like, a fucking magic show. Like, did you hear there's this guy that's, like, shoving knives in someone? This is the first time in 111 episode recaps of Riverdale where I've made a joke that you said was really funny. Good job. <laughs> I knew you'd get there one day. Later that day at Pops Royale, uh, yeah, a lot of dudes from the worksite are out having their, their 25 cent burgers. I mean, when you advertise it like that, you're not going to like hold back. I would do. And if they say it's only for guys on the site, I would buy a tool belt that would cost me way more than I'm saving on the burger. Yeah, like how are you going to get proof? We don't have union cards. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Just to say I did. Archie takes this opportunity to slide into a booth mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with uh, Fangs and, and Carlos. Carlos. I feel like Carlos has been like a featured extra style part before, but Carlos might be brand new. They act like Carlos has been around and on Reggie's crew or and on Archie's crew and we've seen yeah. him just. You know how every once in a while they invent a new character to just be a a run-of-the-mill townsfolk we haven't seen before. Yeah. Meet Carlos. Carlos! He, he is the J of the construction crew. Uh, so Archie's all like, you know, I heard Percival changed the conditions of your contract. And he's like, you know, you have options about, like, 
talking about unionizing. Carlos, you used to be a union man. Like, everyone used to be a union man. All these men used to work on your crew, Archie, and you were union. Yeah, the only one who I don't think joined uh, some some manner of, uh, uh, like, labor union here is Fangs. I feel like that might have been mentioned. No, because Fangs was part of their work crew many times. So if he was working for Archie, he would have had to have been unionized. That's true. That's true. Because they can't have people working for them that aren't on the union. That's how unions work. Yeah, I'm not sure how, you know, it works in the construction field. But yes, if everyone on the crew is a card-carrying member of, you know, your various unions, or they were at one time, I feel like this isn't a union drive. You, you got it. You got one. What this is, is they should actually be calling up the head of their union exactly. and being like, hey, this dude is like brushed in here and he's trying to dismantle the unions. You gotta call and, the phone number on that card and get some shit happening. And then they all rush down there and they're like, what the fuck's going on? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I do wish, I appreciate this episode a lot. I do. Heart's in the right place, but I feel like some of the details are off to a degree that's a little distracting, and it could have been fixed if it was explicitly a push for a strike, uh, uh, or for recognition on this site, and... That they're all union members. That, like, you got, you got it, you just gotta do it, but they're acting like they ain't got it. Yes. They're, they're on square two and acting like they're on square one, which is disorienting to me. Yeah. Veronica has asked for a meeting with Agent Drake. Mm -hmm. And the conversation they had earlier has um, brought up an idea for her. And she wants to learn more about abstinence. Not abstinence. Veronica knows nothing about abstinence. (laughs) Not familiar with the word at all. She wants to learn about absinthe. Yes. Synth. Veronica Um, just watched Moulin Rouge and she's real into it. So is everyone else. Did you know Moulin Rouge uh, uh, was filmed back-to-back on the same sets? Well, not the same sets, but in the same studio facilities as Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. No. Ewan Ewan McGregor never left? Ewan McGregor just, like, hung out in Australia for, like, a year. (laughs) You know, when you're there for a year, you would think that you would at least have a cameo on Lord of the Rings. (laughs) Well, that's not Australia. That's New Zealand, though. It's close. Uh, and, And It's close. The way he tells- And the thing is, though, is the Lord of the Rings people and the Star Trek people have stories of where they visited each other's sets. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they were like, it's like the polar opposite and it's so weird. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting this story from Star Wars Celebration was just this past week, and I watched part of the uh, 20 years of Attack of the Clones panel. And the way Ewan McGregor tells the story is that uh, apparently Moulin Rouge ran so long, so over schedule. The Star Wars crew basically bulldozed the set down in order to put their stuff up because they they had no time at all. No! I'm sure he was using the word figuratively, but... That's so sad! And also, like, some of the technical people, like, uh, uh, they, they had one of the sound guys on that panel talking about, like, yeah, I was down early just, like collecting a huge noise library all over Australia and then home base was the studio and he would just like watch Moulin Rouge pickups be done and like <laughs> that's crazy that's crazy also you and McGregor kept the same stunt double between both shoots that totally makes sense why did he have a stunt double on Moulin Rouge don't know <laughs> not sure 
That guy got way more work in the Star Wars. There's no denying it. Yes. So Veronica is like, you know, what if I created one with Wormwood, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't dangerous? And then I'm just like, Veronica... It's still not going to answer the needs of the purists because it like already kind of exists and you're taking away the thing that they want, which is the drug. What if? The the toxin. Like it's supposed to make you really trippy. They want that. We've got all the... Okay. People love collecting old vinyl records, obviously. But what if I took those vinyl records and I digitized them and put it all on CD? They'd love that even more. No, they wouldn't. It's the whole point. There's already a shit ton of versions out there that they can drink. <laughs> You're fundamentally misunderstanding your, your market. And Agent Drake, does she point this out? No, she says, it sounds like a great idea. Also, I want a piece. Of what? For what? A consultant fee? What are you what are you doing? They're acting like this beverage has not like existed outside of this <laughs> version when I'm like, I had that in Canada when I was 19. What Veronica's idea is, is I guess slightly more traditional tasting legal absinthe. Yes, but it either is the full thing or it's not. It's not, there's not like a middle version we can go with here, Veronica. There will be now, and it, it all really falls onto the shoulders of her marketing plan. Maybe that's what Agent Drake is good for. I don't know. So meanwhile, Betty is sitting with Charles, and he's like, man, thanks for giving up your room for me. I'm like, she didn't have a fucking choice. You were already in her bed, and you're dying. Like, what was she going to do? Be like, get out? Thanks for coincidentally moving out a week ago. That that made this a lot easier for everybody. Didn't feel like we had to ask permission. So she inquires about Chick and if they ever got married, and they haven't, because as soon as they uh, went back to prison after the escape, they were separated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which makes sense. You're going to separate the people who escaped together. I, I guess they forgot to kidnap the county clerk that night, so it <laughs> it never technically went through. They have the normal chat of like, are you scared to die? He's like, no, I've made my peace with it. I've done some terrible things. Blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He's on death's door. He's taking a a retrospective look back and and trying to work things out because he's running out of chances. So meanwhile, Cheryl and Heather are hanging out in Thornhill. And Cheryl's like, hey, I'm sorry we had to put off witch training. Sorry, we had to put it on hold. Uh, Heather's like, hey, it's okay, but, like, we just found something. Because they're, like, researching, you know, things to try to help with... All sorts of stuff. Pickets. Going through the archives, after all. Yes. Uh, and so they find something about the, uh... You want to say this one? No. (laughs) Malus Malificarum? The the Malleus Malificarum. Yes. I wasn't too far off considering I totally did not know how to spell it. Heather presents this as like a, a cursed book of, of the damned, like a, a, a very powerful manual of, of occult studies and, and uh, witchcraft and sort of, sort of, because it is a real book. Mm-hmm. This is a thing that exists. It was written as a guide to identifying sorcery. Oh. So that you could torture its practitioners. Oh. Any, any like, practical magic, quote-unquote, you might find in it is there in a very know-your-enemy sort of way. Ah. 
Uh, it was foundational in like the witch hunts of the 1600s and beyond. Gotcha. It was written in 15 something something. And also, it's not like lost knowledge the way that uh, uh, Heather talks about it, like, oh, we've got to get this from Percival because this could really supercharge our witchly studies. You can just read it. Like, a lot of, of libraries have, have scans of it that you could just read public domain. As long as you know Latin, you can just fucking read it. I was going to say, I want to read it. <laughs> I'm sure there's an English translation. Yeah, yeah. How this is connected is that the feud between the Pickens and the Blossoms started with the Pickums stealing it from the Blossoms. Yes. We don't know if, you know, Percival has it, but we can assume he has this oddity shop. And Heather's like, hey, Cheryl, how much do you know about turning unseeable? Mm, mm. And Cheryl's like, well... Harry Potter and Wizards of Waverly, Waverly Place taught me I need a cape. See, see, at least Cheryl is learning some real magic. Reggie, come over. Just chill. It's fine. We, we have slumber parties. Everybody is in silk pajamas and we slap each other with pillows. It's perfect. Yeah. That's what I imagine they're doing when we are watching them, yeah. right? These yeah. two? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But Heather corrects Cheryl. No cloak is required. All you need is, is to, to hold your breath. Owl House was right. Owl House is right. Oh my goodness. Owl House is great. Just gonna say, it's perfection. Go watch it. 100% accurate version of invisibility spells. So Heather's going to teach Cheryl how to do this so Cheryl can sneak in to the oddity shop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so, so meanwhile, uh, Veronica shows up interrupting them mm-hmm. and she's like and cheryl's so pissed she is so <laughs> pissed that her date is being interrupted yeah we, we were about to hold our breaths and spin in a circle until we get real dizzy uh but veronica is there looking uh for a book on how to distill absence and uh also wondering if cheryl happens to have any wormwood in the greenhouse like you do. Of course she does. She has all the poisonous plants. You ate some of her wormwood a couple weeks ago. As a snack. So much like Cheryl and Veronica were rum collaborators, mm-hmm. now they're going to be absinthe collaborators. Apparently. Apparently. So Percival uh, goes to Archie and he's like, hey, I want you to reconsider my offer to join my team. Uh, we could use a man like you, you know, your honesty, uh, how you want to, you know, protect the crew. Basically, he wants to buy Archie off. Archie obviously says no. Shoots him right down. So meanwhile, uh, Tony and Fangs are meeting with a lawyer. Yeah, this is their lawyer who we've heard is expensive, but I don't think we've yet seen in person. Yes. And she is just running down, you know, the the case against them before they hear it from Kevin's lawyer in court. Again, focusing on their arrest records. Uh, which they have pointed out, you know, most of that was from when they were juveniles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there was this really big, really recent uh, guns jo- <laughs> possession yeah, thing. There was that. There was that. But, like, let's not focus on that. Mm-hmm, That's, mm-hmm. no. And so, yeah, it's all the typical stuff we've heard. Fangs is like, feels like we're on trial. She's like, you are, or you will be. Mm-hmm, kind mm-hmm. of the point of this. Um, and what we find out is Kevin wants a paternity test. Yes, yes. Fangs is like, so not having. Mm-hmm. Um, she also asks them if they've thought about retiring from the serpents. Yeah. Which gets very mixed answers. 
Uh, Fangs is like, no. And Tony's like, we're rebranding. Every time, every time this comes up, I have to ask myself, because nobody in the show will tell me, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, is Tony as... going to have to, like, file paperwork at the Biker Bureau? What do you mean, rebranding? They're going to become their own nonprofit of a <laughs> political activist group. The Southside Serpents 5013C. Yes. Okay. And All everyone right. will have their t- own tax-exempt letter uh-huh, uh-huh. to go buy... Leather, I Leather. guess. Leather. <laughs> I, I don't know what else they would need. Poster board and Sharpies? Gas for, for their bikes, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, she ends up leaving. They're both very tense and upset. What we find out is that Fangs has not given Tony an answer to the proposal. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. He's, he's hesitant. He wants to make sure it's for the right reasons. Again, stop using the Bachelor line. Stop it. Stop making me think of the Bachelor and the Bachelorette. Here's a rose. Jughead is having his act. Yes, we're, we're back with the fantastic Forsyth, and he is reading a lady's mind to tell her uh, uh, where she had her first date with her fiancé at the Bijou Theater. I, I love this choice because it makes it look like a corny cold reading act. Yeah. Because every date in this town is at the Bijou Theater. <laughs> or the drive-in when it existed. She's not old enough to, to have her first date at <laughs> the drive-in. True. The That's drive-in's true. been closed for like 15 years now. Uh, so then, out of the crowd comes a voice shouting, uh, Someone says you're a fraud. Your act is a joke. And it is Reggie throwing his voice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very well. He learned so many skills overnight. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, you know, Reggie's voice laid in in ADR or footage of uh, Reggie just being totally stone-faced and tight-lipped. That's not really how it works. It is when you're really good at it. Percival, uh, as Jughead's distracted by this because he's also like, is that Reggie? Like, what? Uh, Percival tries to go into Jughead's mind and he Mm -hmm. uh, comes up to a door and the door has a bunch of signs on it that say, like, keep out. And this means you, Percival. Um, but it is locked, and he cannot get in. But he notices that there are pictures along the side, which include FP and Tabitha and others. Big pictures of Betty and Tabitha, and oh, it's so dark. It's so dark and so blue. FP and... Is that Jellybean and Mom, I think? I think that's Jellybean and Mom. You know, people that are important to him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to tell. But we definitely, like, we zoom in on Tabitha. T- Tabitha is the most highlighted one. It's also the only picture on a white background, which makes it really pop in this this dark blue brain zone. Uh, so Percival comes out of Jughead's mind and mm-hmm, he's, mm-hmm. you know, goes to Reggie and he's like, you know, breaking into Mr. Jones's mind is going to be harder than I thought. I'm going to need a talisman. And he's like, yo, is there anything that like represents Jughead? And Reggie's like, you know, <laughs> back in high school, he was a weirdo who. He didn't fit in. He didn't want to fit in, in, frankly. And, like, we never saw him without this hat. Isn't it weird? And, you know, this hat, like, he put it in a time capsule, and I know where that time capsule is. And so Percival Pickens lowers his eyes and says, You will deliver the beanie unto me. You will deliver the beanie unto me. (laughs) What the fuck? So Archie's hanging with the, the... construction workers Mm -hmm. and apparently they did go to management which i guess is like frank um and was like hey we want to unionize and they said no 
so now Archie takes this, like, gives him a pep talk anyway. Like, yeah, well, what can you expect from, from a guy like Percival? And now the gist of it that I'm getting is he's trying to uh, uh, motion them toward a wildcat strike at this point. Yeah. You, you aren't officially recognized, but hey, you can still tools down, walk away, and fuck him up. Yeah. Betty's chatting with Charles, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, asking about, basically, could he ever tell if there was anything, like, from their childhood that made him different, made him a killer, made him become who he is? Because, uh, unless this came up in any of the times we didn't see them on screen, Betty's never really talked with Charles about his childhood. Well, yeah, because, like, he was lying about who he was the entire time they were talking. Right, right. So, I guess while he's being honest and introspective, I guess, uh, it's time to go down memory lane, and he talks about that time he captured and killed a possum when he was living in the Sisters of Quiet Mercy orphanage. And uh, he explains that it was very, like, textbook serial killer and how he killed it, very much like how she killed Caramel. And she's like, uh-uh, no, 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 that, that was, that was a, an act of euthanasia. That, that's not, I didn't kill it. The driver of that car did. And he's like, you know, I just, I just wonder, though, if maybe I let the possum out, maybe my shadow self would have remained dormant. <laughs> and I wouldn't have killed everyone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. So she's wondering if she didn't mercy kill her cat. Yeah, yeah. Would this not have been released? Is she now going to get Jughead to, to erase Caramel from her mind? Ooh. Uh, so, over at the work site, Kevin is showing off pictures of baby Anthony on his phone to his co-workers. Yeah. And is talking about how cute the baby looks and how he looks just like him, you know, his daddy, as Fang sits across just from him. Just glaring, just stewing. And, like, until until we cut away and see, you know, who else is uh, overhearing this conversation, it's like, oh, that's what I was asking for. That's Kevin showing affection and care for this child, and it really is a two-way pull. Like, but also, it's a fucked up thing to do in present company, Kevin. What What is wrong with you, Kevin? Well, and Face is like, you're not his dad. And Kevin's like, what's your problem? I'm like, oh my god, oh my god. Kevin, I can tell you what his problem is. You're trying to steal his child, and you're, like, blasting pictures of him in yes. front of him and rubbing it in his fucking face. Are you an idiot? <laughs> what do you mean, what is his problem? So, a fight breaks out. <laughs> and quite frankly, Fang should have pummeled his ass. In the future, we learn he does not. Yes. Uh, but but we, we cut away from the, the fight uh, as, as it boils over to Cheryl and Heather about to do crime. Yes. Uh, they are uh, waiting to enter the oddity shop. Uh, and Cheryl is... Like, getting her spell ready, uh, so that way she's invisible when they enter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so they go in, and they are greeted by Percival. Well, Heather's greeted by Percival, because he doesn't know Cheryl's there. While she invisibly walks by. See, to remain invisible, she just has to hold her breath and keep, like, running the, the Latin incantation through through her mind. Uh, so I guess the, the big question is, what is Cheryl Blossom's lung capacity? It's good. It's good enough to have not drowned in chapter 13, but again, that was a long time ago. 
So I have to think that, though, the this invisibility thing. Yes. It's not that you have to hold your breath to make the magic work. It's the fact that they will hear you breathing. Mm-hmm. So, like, you can't breathe because it gives you away. Yeah, she, she should also be barefoot. Yes. Yeah, because there's no way she's going to wear, like, sneakers or anything. God, no. <laughs> barefoot. Yeah. There you go. She'd much rather be barefoot. Uh, she, she's either barefoot or in Louboutin. There's no third option for Cheryl Blossom. Cheerleading shoes. I guess. Uh, so Heather's keeping Percival out front with the ruse that she is looking for a gift for her friend. So Percival shows her some ancient Viking battle knives. From Normandy. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, but as Cheryl's in the back, she accidentally knocks a book over. Mm-hmm. And so Percival goes back there. Uh, and he's like looking around very suspicious. But then Heather's all like... I'm in a rush. Can you get back out here and, like, sell me a thing? Mm-mm. He's like, okay, fine. Now, whenever the camera is focused on Cheryl while invisible, yes. the the effect is very close to the Chilling Adventures magic lens. Yes. That particular distortion. Yes. So it really, like, reinforces that she is learning magic from a witch in the Greendale tradition. I appreciate this. I yes. do. So Percival goes back out. Uh, and Cheryl un- becomes visible again. Yeah. And she has the book. The book that is covered in faces. It is bound in three human faces, and they're, they're like, lifted off. I, I don't know why. It looks very, like, Han Solo, like, frozen. Yes, yes. But, like, in, like, leather. But but red leather, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so meanwhile, Veronica's reading her book. And she's got some wormwood with her and got to try to figure out how to use her peculiar biology to make it non-poisonous and, like, drink ready. Have you tried eating it and then bottling your pee? (laughs) Do you think the FDA, do you think the FDA would care about that? I don't think so. Just go for it. In this America? I mean, she is saying, like, I have to see if I can leach the poison from it. She doesn't say how. We don't see her how she attempts it. I, th- I think the idea is to just, like, rub it really good. Like like a guy in a, a commercial for a microbrew, you know, sniffing the hops or whatever. I prefer to think she pees. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I do think she pees. <laughs> I've always thought this about Veronica Lodge. I look at her and I think, that's a lady who pees. <laughs> but I don't know if that's part of the plan, necessarily. So, so Betty's filling Archie in on everything with Charles mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how uh, she feels like she's seen a preview of herself. And like her what? theory, her theory for Charles's affliction is that the darkness inside him is poisoning him. Like the the, the darkness being... is rotting him, which yes. is why he is sick. That just being a serial killer is a deadly uh, uh, condition to you, not just the people around you. And she thinks that that is going to be her future Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because she is a serial killer, apparently. Um, She hasn't killed anybody yet, but she kind of is an honorary serial killer. And they they are in Archie's, like, bedroom. She's a serial torturer. I know that for sure. This is true. They're having this conversation in Archie's bedroom, which, if you remember, is right across from her bedroom. Yeah, they're like 15 feet away from the guy they're talking about. Yeah, like, he can totally hear. (laughs) Um, And she, like, glances out the window and sees her mother taking a pillow to Charles's face. Now, that will be deadly, actually. And so she 
runs over with Archie trailing behind her and rips her mother off of Charles. She is definitely trying to kill him. Yeah, and Charles doesn't look like he wants to die right now. (laughs) But before we follow this up, there is a short scene between Tony and Fangs. Uh, where they yell at each other. They yell at each other because they are... Because Tony is so wound up in what this fight would look like in court... Uh, thank God he didn't manage to actually strike Kevin or we'd be so fucked that, that uh, she's not listening to him and his feelings and why he was so angry. Like, yeah, I get it, but you're a fucking moron and you're screwing us both, Fangs. Shut up. Very upset. And he's trying to plead his feelings. He, he has a truth to tell, damn it. Eat your fish. Uh, Alice is, is trying to tell Betty smothering him with a pillow was the plan all along, it was their plan. That's why he's come here, so he can die. Yeah, so so he can die on his own terms at home. Uh, uh, there's better methods of euthanasia than asphyxiation. There, just read a book, Alice. God, we can't just let him suffer. And Alice is just freaking out. And Betty's like, "There's been enough murder in this house. <laughs> enough." Enough. Yeah, yeah. Betty does not see this as uh, uh, family-assisted suicide. She sees this as just one more killing in, in a long, long line. So fuck that. So Heather is really excited to mm-hmm. hold this book. Yes, Heather is very happy to have the Mela Menomena. The Menomena! She loves the Menomenas. Do-do-do-do-do. Menomena. Do-do-do-do. Menomena. Yeah. What's your favorite movie about uh, uh, a psychic John Travolta? Psychic John Travolta? Mine is Phenomena. Do, 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 do. Phenomena. Do, 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 do. I, was, I couldn't remember the name of that movie. <laughs> I was like, there was a psychic John Travolta. What was that god-awful movie? <laughs> Goodness. She, she also uh, compliments... Uh, Cheryl by saying nice work witch mm-hmm. which very much like gives Cheryl all the butterflies I do enjoy their relationship as yeah the the positive mirror to Percival and Reggie's apprenticeship except I don't trust Heather at all <laughs> and this but, scene I mean, specifically she's giving positive reinforcement she's working with Cheryl on what Cheryl wants to do instead of just being used as a tool for uh, uh, Percival's goals in Reggie's case okay so let's focus on the fact that Heather's the one who found the phenomena in the notes and was yes. like we should find the phenomena and here's how we're gonna get the phenomena and oh my god you found the phenomena and I never thought I'd hold this or touch this in my life and now let me compliment you on finding the phenomena. I don't trust her. Okay, okay. I think she's up to shit and she wants the phenomena and other things for herself. She wants power. But at the same time, she is holding up her end of the bargain because she's been going through the family records, the correspondence, and she's found some business correspondence, old-timey letters bound up in little strings. Adorable. Speaking of our magic mentors, though, uh, Reggie has found a a wide assortment of Jughead things. So many Jughead things. Did he rob Jughead? Yeah, because, like, all this wasn't in, like, the fucking time capsule. No, no. He's got his jacket. 
He's got his copy of The Outsiders. He's got his t-shirt. He's got the beanie. A bunch of old pictures, a bunch of his old newspapers, including like the the dual headline of the newspaper for one, like they were voting on whether to reincorporate the town or not. Are we sure that Reggie like went and stole this shit or like... Has he just been, like, secretly, like, hoarding Jughead yeah. shit? This is Reggie Mantle the curator of the Jughead Jones Museum? He might be. <laughs> uh, and Percival's just like, ah, yes, this will work, yes. It fucking better. <laughs> I don't know how much more shit you need. If you want to get more Jughead stuff, you have to tie up and gag Jughead and drag him into your office. Uh, so meanwhile, Kevin and Moose are having dinner. And Moose is like, so, you really don't know if you're Anthony's father? And Kevin explains, like, no, like, they didn't want to know. Uh, they did that on purpose. And Moose is like, so, why are you so hell-bent on ruining your friendships to get custody? <laughs> uh-huh. What an interesting question to ask, Moose. Is it because you don't think you are his father? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. These are some heavy-hitting questions, Moose, for a date. Yeah. Let me t- <laughs> hey, uh, Moose, I don't want to like, I don't want to critique your, your whole approach here, but I don't think you're going to get any on this date. I don't think that's where this is headed. It's not really the sexy time. It is, Kevin, though. He's really desperate, though. Mm, you know what? Go follow your heart. Do, do what you got to do. So Percival calls up Archie again and is like, hey, do you want to reconsider? And Archie's all like, no. And he's like, oh, that's too bad because today a worker lost his foot. And it's because your agitating distracted them. And more tragedy is going to happen unless you stop trying to unionize them. So the very clear subjects here is that these are not workers. They are hostages now. Yes. Pretty sure Percival, like, chopped off a dude's foot. (laughs) Well, no, he told him to do it himself. Mind controlled someone Mm -hmm. to run over it with a tractor. This was not an accident. So now uh, uh, Cheryl has those adorable little letters bound up in strings now now that she's looked over the ones that uh, Heather pulled for this purpose and gives them to Archie. Uh, uh, They are some business correspondence between her great uncle Braden Blossom and Percival's great grandfather Paxton Pickens. About the miners' strike in the area. Back in 1949. When the unions first came. 60 years after the foundation of the United Mine Workers of America. Uh, Betty and Alice have a little chat. uh, And Betty lets her know that she thinks she has an idea about Mm -hmm. how to help Charles. And Alice is like, what the fuck do you mean? It's terminal. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you don't know it's terminal because you said you don't know what he has. It's mysterious. (laughs) You're assuming. It's a terminal case of evil heart poisoning. (laughs) So so it is the next showing of uh, the Fantastic Forsyth. Yes. And he is doing the old, uh, I I know what number you're thinking of trick again. Yes. And while this is happening, Reggie calls up Percival and we go to Percival and we see he is wearing the shirt and he is wearing the jacket and he's sitting at his desk surrounded by the newspapers. And And after he talks to Reggie, he puts on the hat. He is in cosplay as that guy he really hates. Yes. (laughs) And he picks up the newspapers and starts saying Latin. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As he goes into brain space, he enters into the brain door because his disguise has fooled the lock on the brain door. The brain door lets him in because he it thinks it's it. Jughead thinks it's Jughead. Yes. <laughs> he he opens the door, and with that, Jughead starts freaking out uh, because he suddenly can hear everyone's voices, and he can't shut any of them out, and he flees the stage. And one more little detail, I just... The, the visual metaphor of how we're, we're doing, like, brain action. Uh, uh, he, he slides, Percival slides that newspaper, that folded up newspaper, into the crack between, like, the, the door and the door jam on the hinge side. So that way it can't close. So, so the voices are always leaking in. It's propped wide open. And now Jughead is constantly reading every single mind around him. It's just a cacophony of every thought of every person in what is now a successful uh, a casino because he's such a good nightclub act. So he rushes off stage and Veronica follows. And this is where he explains everything. Like, it feels like a tighter wave. He can't shut anyone out. Can't focus, can't perform, can't even stay in this building. Yes. So so Veronica's like, well, cancel the shows. And he he rushes off to try to find somewhere that's quiet. I like the visualness of this, mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. thing. But in a way, it kind of doesn't make sense. Because that door was what was keeping Percival out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It shouldn't be the thing that is forcing in all the other voices. Is the door keeping Percival out, or is the door keeping the whole world out? And now that it's open, the whole world can come in. Okay, if this if you're using this door as a metaphor for Jughead to be able to hear anything, he needs a little doggy door. Yeah, yeah. Like, how's any voices getting in then? That's a very good point, and I would appreciate if something like the payphone from the wall in Pops got put on the wall next to the brain door. Like some, something that shows voices can pass through if you know the number, if he's calling out, yeah. you know, so to, to communicate that. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Because I was like, well, I like the concept of all this. I just, mm-hmm. I don't think the visual metaphor quite matches up with what they're trying to portray. An intercom speaker grill, but that doesn't feel very Jughead as much as an artifact out of Pops might. Yeah. They have like the Portillo's mic. <laughs> yes, yes, right? a drive-through like, intercom. A drive-through like 100%, intercom. Yes. Like yeah, like that would make sense. Because <laughs> um, to me, him putting the like paper in is more like, oh, now Percival can get in can, his mind. Can at come any and go time. anytime, which is frightening enough. But that's not what we see. Yeah. We see the whole world rushing in. Yes. Yeah. And I could also see like, oh, it does like temporarily cause all these voices to rush in, but. Like, that's because he was taken by surprise. Mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. He should still have, like, some control because that door wasn't keeping all voices out. So, yeah, that's my thought on that. But uh, we see Britta. Britta's alive and Britta's well. Britta's back, and she's making money the way any, uh, uh, you know, teenage girl might in a story about suburb, in a story about suburbia. She's babysitting. She's babysitting little baby Anthony. Yes, and uh, Tony comes home, uh, and uh, she finds Britta trying to find baby Anthony's pacifier, and she can't find it anywhere. Mm-mm. And what she mentions in passing is like, oh yeah, baby Anthony was great. He got so excited when Mr. Keller came over, and she's like, what? Mm-mm. Kevin said, like, he comes over, like, every Saturday and plays with baby Anthony. Oh, what a liar. What a liar you are. And Tony's like, so is that when the pacifier went missing? 
I guess. Uh, uh, and so and so Tony rushes out, and we do not follow her because there's other scenes first. Yes, yeah, so we gotta go check in on Jughead, who tries to go to Pops and talk to Tabitha, but he's overwhelmed by voices, and he runs out before she ever sees him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and then we go to Baroque. But to, to Veronica. Yeah. Betty and Veronica. That's my favorite ship. Uh, Betty and Veronica, who are talking to Charles, explaining that Veronica is there to help. Also, Agent Drake is there, too, because I don't know. She loves the weird shit. Um, so they tell Charles that they want to uh, perform an experimental medical procedure. They want to use Veronica as the living filtration system. Uh, she can detox things. They figure they'll hook them up and her body might be able to purify his blood. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they're kind of like, so do you want to try? And he's like, well, I'm kind of terrified of dying because I might end up in hell because of all my sins. So yes, I would like to. <laughs> he's not, he's not a hard sell. He's kind of on board. Oh, he's very much on board. He's actually yeah, yeah. very terrified of meeting the devil. He might also be terrified of seeing his mother again in her current state. So now it's time to follow Tony. And Tony bursts into Kevin's place. Still in date night. He's still having dinner with Moose. She tells Moose to sit his ass down. And she she, she pummels Kevin with brass knuckles and demands to know where the pacifier is. Mm-hmm. First, she demands it. After she punches him in the face a second time... Uh, he stops denying and is like, oh yeah, it's in my coat pocket. What a great look. She's like, oh, so you were trying to steal baby Anthony's DNA. Mm-hmm. I see how it is. Uh, uh. Uh, and so she she grabs it and she's like, if you are in 10 feet of my baby, I will throw you off this building. <laughs> and she rushes out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Moose is still getting laid. Kevin is that desperate. Yes. So uh, Jughead is now at home. And Freaking it, out about the voices. And it's still too loud. He's in an empty home and it's still overwhelming. He cannot handle it. Meanwhile, uh, Tabitha and Archie are talking with the workers. Yes. And letting them know that they heard about what happened to Sal and his foot. And they offered and to the, pay medical. Yes. The two of them are using their businesses to support his medical fees. And when they asked about Percival, he hadn't even called the family. Yes. Says a lot, don't it? Mm, mm. Uh, and Archie's like, you guys, Percival is not a good guy. <laughs> and this isn't a good job. People are losing feet over here. <laughs> the lines they give Archie, it's what I said last time. It's like he's a 10-year-old boy. <laughs> this is not, it's not fair. This guy, I don't like him. Archie, he put all of the unhoused people on a death march to California. Yeah, that's what I said. He's not nice. He's kind of rude. And so they're like, you know, we we would like uh, to read some words written by Percival's great-grandfather mm-hmm. after the miners' strike. And so they read this letter that's talking about how the mules that pulled the palladium from the mine were more valuable than the workers and Mm -hmm, how mm -hmm. they must break their backs and blah, 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 blah. Boo workers, they are trash. It's the old timey equivalent of a leaked internal memo. Yes. Yeah. And what I love is Fangs being like, his great grandfather wrote that? (laughs) Like, yeah. Yeah, dog, yeah. Like, yeah. The more things change, the more they seem the same, big guy. 
part of me is like, okay, we should not be surprised. Also, it is kind of a weird thing to, like, hold someone's great-grandfather over <laughs> them. Yeah, yeah, but we are under the impression that Percival is his own great-grandfather. Oh, yeah, yes, yes. That he is an eternal, undying, ageless I mean, demon. we know this. We know this. They don't know this. Though, maybe they should start with that, like, <laughs> hey, Percival doesn't die, so let's read this memo that what would have been his great-grandfather wrote, but really it was him. <laughs> but no, we don't go there. Cheryl and Heather are having a little chat. Yes. And Cheryl needs to confess... That the library, well, she is glad that this privatized library is opening. Uh, it was not initially real and like huh? a ruse. The library's fake? Really? No. You don't say. Uh, and so she's like, you know, I just, I just wanted you to stay, but like, I totally understand if you want to leave. And Heather's like, I don't want to leave. I want to stick around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-mm-mm. This is where I get my Menomina books. Menomina! So at Tony's house, she is uh, uh, cleaning up uh, after her brutal beatdown. She is icing her knuckles with some peas. And next to her, like on the table, is, is a little towel on which sits brass knuckles and a pacifier side by side. Yes. <laughs> and Fangs comes in and he immediately knows, notices her serpent jacket and the brass knuckles and is like, did you get into a fight? And she says yes. Uh, and she's like, you know, I have a ch- change of plans. We're not going to rebrand the serpents. And she's like, you know, we need to stop denying who we are and apologizing for who we are. And I think it's time we induct baby Anthony into the serpents. What does that mean? They're going to hold baby Anthony up to the pole and he's <laughs> going to do the serpent dance. Oh, I was wondering if they were going to lower baby Anthony <laughs> into the, the snake terrarium. Both of these are options. Because... I mean, he can't do all the tests. I don't like his odds running the gauntlet. That's going to be rough. Yeah, are they going to, like, throw him in an alley and have everyone beat up on him? But he really can't take care of Hot Dog because he's much too small. He can't even feed himself. He's got to feed a dog now? I mean, maybe he's going to be fed to the dog. Oh, okay. And so she's like, and I think... Are his first words going to be, like, in unity there is strength or whatever? (laughs) Like the serpent code. It's been so long since anyone said the serpent code. And so... And she's like, and I think you should be the one to give him his serpent name. Since when are there serpent names? You think his mom called him Fangs? Oh, excuse me. No serpent stands alone. That's part two. That's the second law of the serpents. Well, it's just, it's a little confusing. Like, yeah, a bunch of them got nicknames, but not like all of them. (laughs) Tony is the only one who we know their government name is not the name they go by. Antoinette Topaz. Mm Mm-hmm. We can assume with Fangs, because, yeah, who would name a baby Fangs? But we don't know any other name he has. Maybe it's just short for something so, like so, yeah, hers. M- exactly. Maybe uh, baby Anthony is going to be ant, like a little bug. A little bug. Yeah. It just sounds weird, though, because it sounds like something like, oh, this there's this crazy, like, name ceremony that everyone goes through to get their, like, name. What if, what if that's where Jughead came from? What if that's why he's not Forsyth III? His serpent name is Jughead, and he got it from his dad when he was, like, a little toddler or whatever. I mean, maybe. It just seems like some of these things, like, 
names that they got. Yeah, yeah. Names that just naturally happened. Nicknames that became. Yeah, nicknames you got from your friends as as a youth. Yes. The way most people like get their nicknames. A serpent name ceremony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, wouldn't we have heard about that by now? Wouldn't we have, like, heard about Jelly Bean's naming ceremony when they were like, Jelly Bean? Like the candy? That's what you want to be? <laughs> <laughs> like something something it would be really funny if she's jelly bean because she picked her own and she was four, <laughs> she was four. And it's just what she was really into that week yeah but baby anthony is the talk of the town what, what if his name his serpent name's just baby oh that'd be cool what if he's just baby baby they can then do like cry baby yeah. as like their musical they could do cry baby <laughs> yes i don't remember any of the songs from that I, pro I watched that when I was, like, 15, and I haven't seen it since. <laughs> and Fangs is like, oh, and yes, I'll marry you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that happens. Do you think he was convinced uh, uh, by her deciding to keep the serpents themselves? I think he probably was more convinced by seeing her more as herself mm -hmm. and having those things that are part of who they are and recognizing them again. I will marry the Tony who beats the threat to my family bloody. Yes. I'm not sure about marrying the Tony that wants to change who we are in order to, like, assimilate to what other people say our family should be. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. This is a good Fangs week, if we if we follow that. I think this is good Fangs. It is the Fangs week that makes me the least angry out of, like, this season. <laughs> because the things that he stood up for, mm -hmm. the thing, like, with Kevin, that is a normal thing that Fangs would be pissed about. Yes. That's a normal boundary. That's mm -hmm, not, mm -hmm. I'm creating trouble to create trouble to yeah, be the bad yeah. guy. It's, I'm protecting my family. And he wants to do that very directly, very confrontationally. Yes. And sometimes that's going to make problems for him. Yeah. But he's just a little more common sense than we've seen in recent weeks. Yes. Uh, so Kevin goes to Percival and he's like, yeah, Tony ambushed me for Pacifier before I could take it to the lab. Uh, and Percival's like, oh, that's, that's fine. Um, you're not actually the biological father of baby Anthony. And, and Kevin is shocked and asks how he knows. And Percival's like, cause I do. I know things. Duh. I'm magic. You and, should know by now. And Moose is just there for this conversation. Is, why is Moose here? It's very weird. Moose just hangs around now. Uh, and Percival goes on to say that the baby represents Riverdale's greatest hope, its mm -hmm, future. Mm -hmm, but and Percival's also its future, and that's a problem because there can only be one future for Riverdale, and that's him. Mm -hmm, so, like, they gotta kill the baby. He's gotta destroy that baby. But again, Moose is there! He's just there! Moose must have better luck dating than Kevin. There's no reason he should be here. <laughs> so confusing. Uh, so Betty goes to Charles. Charles is feeling better, uh, and she, she confess, confesses that, you know, when he showed up, she immediately wondered if Veronica could possibly help him, but she didn't want to know she wanted to consider it because she didn't know if he deserved to be saved. And mm -hmm, she actually mm -hmm. ended up doing it because of mom. Yeah. She and also because she's not ready to give up. And he's like, on me? She's like, no. 
Me, you asshole. She, she's making the, the subtext very clear that she wants to, to help find redemption for this guy who actually killed people to, so she can, you know, stoke the, the, the flame of hope in her heart that, that she might have a happy ending in the end. Yes. You ha- you've tortured a lot of people. Stop doing that. You haven't killed anyone. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, and so she's like, yo, I need to focus on the future and, like, hoping to catch TBK. And he's like, you know, I might have an idea about that. Mm, mm. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, Archie goes to the tracks that have been laid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, he's and- standing on them all alone and he's approached by the evil work crew. That is, of course, Percival and Uncle Frank and Kevin. And again, I have to ask, why is Moose here? Why is Moose here? <laughs> I'm so he wasn't in any of the construction scenes, was he? No, I don't, I don't think so. so. <laughs> Moose is just like now brainwashed to tag along. Is Moose, is Kevin your ride? Are you just stuck following him on his other errands today? Yes. Uh, and so Archie lets them know that the, the railroad is not going to be built. That the uh, crews have abandoned him and... And they have unanimously voted to approve a strike. Yes. Uh, and Percival's all like, oh, we'll see how long that lasts. Archie, you haven't seen a real fight, but you will. And Archie's like, I was in the war! <laughs> My other question for this scene, in addition to what is Moose doing here, is what is this song that uses the same piano chords as Imagine? It's very right? distracting. Right? I was thinking that. I was just like, To hear someone imagine? singing a different tune and different lyrics than Imagine, but the exact same piano chords. I don't know what song it was. I couldn't like make out any of the lyrics, but I was like, wait. Uh, it was actually a Femme Fatale by Sharon Van Etten. Okay. Sounds like Imagine. You might get sued about that one. I mean, John Lennon might have a co-writing credit down in the, in the fine print. I, I don't know. Weird. So Betty goes uh, uh, to Veronica to Veronica at uh, Babylonium and proposes an event. I mean, if if the Fantastic Forsyth isn't bringing people in the well, door, this is she's really there first off to like thank Veronica for helping. Sure, sure, that's a smokescreen, but but yes, she's like, oh, can I rent out the Babylonian and uh, you know for a special event, a fan convention, and Veronica's like, oh, like Comic Con. Yeah, but for serial killers? Yeah, welcome to KillerCon 22. Guests of honor include the My Favorite Murder hosts. Jonathan Groff is going to do some autographs. It's great. I will be there with episodes of History Hunters. (laughs) (laughs) And while they're having this conversation, I assume they are drinking uh, Veronica's first batch of pee. It's called Midstream Reserve. (laughs) If green beets existed, Mm -hmm. that's what it would look like. (laughs) Oh, but we have to go somewhere much less disgusting than this. The sex hole! Because... Chughead's in the sex hole! He has left a note for Tabitha, letting him know, or letting her know, that something has happened, and he can't block out the voices, and it's too much, and then he's gone somewhere remote, where he can hopefully close the door to his mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is the sex hole. The sex hole that just last week, we were like, man, I guess they destroyed that set. We haven't seen it. 
we haven't seen it since Rivervale. And while that's, again, not so long ago, it feels like it, it's a whole world away, after all. Uh, <laughs> but he's still hearing voices. And the, the attentive listener will realize that these are not voices of people going about their day-to-day lives. Oh, no, no. He's hearing memories. He's hearing audio of old scenes that were set in the sex hole uh, from, like... When did it first appear? Season two, I think, and beyond? Uh-huh. Uh, it got heavy use in uh, season three, I, I know for sure. So may- maybe it's a little later than I thought, but still. Suddenly here's some Hedwig come in. There should probably be more sensual moaning <laughs> in in the memories he's hearing in this place, but I'll, I'll let that slide. But yes, so he, he is like staring at the walls and is like all these voices... Of him and Betty and others. And then he looks down into the tunnel of the sex hole? Yeah, the the tunnel that leads up to the ladder. Yeah, but it's very dark, so it looks like this never-ending just, like, tunnel. And that's the end of the episode. It's the last shot as it cuts to the incredibly late title card. Yes. The title card that comes as the last frames with Riverdale in neon. But! 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 the, The... the, the blue D. D flickers to a red V off and on. It's a Riverdale, Rivervale uh, collision. It's bleeding through. It's bleeding through. Oh, that's so good. It's everything we've been saying was happening. So, darling, what did you think of chapter 11 Blue Collar? I liked things. <laughs> Congratulations. I things. I'm glad you liked things. It wasn't my favorite episode, but there are things I really like. The last part of it, honestly, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't even want to say the last few minutes, but like the last like 10 minutes or whatever, actually very good. All, all of the conclusions. All the conclusion stuff. Very good. The, this whole union story is just so insane. It's just so much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Part of it is just the way Riverdale stories work is the outside world does not exist. Well, it's, so, like, that's it's, why they can get away with 1949 when the Union arrives. It's the rare, rare exception when something in the outside world happens. So, yeah, they can't write to Union officials up the chain in the National Org because the National Org doesn't exist. Couldn't they have just written to, like, Governor Dooley or some shit? Doesn't exist, <laughs> except when he's in town. Uh-uh, because, like, Veronica used to call him all the time. <laughs> I know, I know that just because unions existed and are, are legal things somewhere doesn't mean that there there are not towns where, where they were barred like just, just it doesn't flip like a switch like that obviously look at the the drives in Starbucks right now you know uh, uh just because there's a shop in in one city doesn't mean the one three blocks away is the same I get it but it's just really fucking weird. <laughs> That especially in these heavy industries, some of the most uh, unionized industries in those eras, in those decades. It's a very strange thing to hear. Well, and it's incredibly, like, weird for a town that is known for having, like, legit construction companies that exist yeah. for generations. Yes! In industry-heavy towns. And in a world where, okay, it's not just a union, but you have, like, OSHA and shit. <laughs> And we're just disregarding anything, which I guess, like, you can't make that argument because let's remember a teenager ran a speakeasy. Yeah. (laughs) 
You think Britta feels lazy because she's just babysitting Britta at her age? feels like such a freaking potato lump. <laughs> she's like, I'm 17 and have not made anything of my life. I haven't founded my own accredited university at age 16. What's wrong with me? I haven't started my own daycare business that is run <laughs> by my own cult followers. I haven't gotten into the Pro Football Hall of Fame from high school. Woe is me. I should be retired by now. <laughs> There's been so much serpent business this whole season. Yes. And I remember asking at the end of season five when they were flagging, there's going to be a lot of serpent business in the future and what it means to be a serpent and what the future of the serpents is. I'd like to know what it means to be a serpent. Exactly. I... I Think my exact words were, I want to know what makes a good serpent, and I still don't. Don't know. And you know what I think we need? We need FP to come back and set everyone straight. But but what I know is that going forward, they are going to be violent. Yes. They are going to be protective and defensive. Yes. And they are going to act outside of the law. That's something. It's not a complete picture. I don't know what they do. But at least I know how they will respond to threats. Yes. I want to know what they do the rest of the day when they're not being threatened. And I would like to know that there's more people who belong to the serpents than Tony and Fang. <laughs> yes, to be a serpent, to be a Southside ser serpent in this day and age is to live in this house. Jughead's not even involved. No! It's just, it's, it's weird. It's a weird. The only time we've seen any other, like, serpents mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is when there was, like, the gun battle that didn't happen. Right, yeah. Did all those people die in the gun battle and they just didn't tell us? Everybody got arrested. And Fangs got the most arrested. Interesting. Nobody got shot because Tony was live streaming to Twitch. That's right. Yeah. So what else does she live stream to Twitch that she has that <laughs> set up? Hot tub streams? Hot tub Okay. Okay. You know, that From might, her office at Riverdale High. That might not go over well <laughs> in your custody battle. So, darling, do you have any predictions? Uh, well, I already said it. Uh, Heather is totally up to no good. Yeah. She just wants the phenomena. She wants the power. But I think that'll be what has brought her here. That will be why she, like, stayed. Mm -hmm, but through mm -hmm. this, she will really grow to care for Cheryl again. And then it will be this whole thing of like, well, how can I trust you? Right, right, yeah, right. Yeah. I think Agent Drake is going to collect all of the super friends and subject them to experiments in Area 51. Didn't I say that a while ago? Maybe. All right, I don't think I had Agent Drake involved, but I totally was bringing back the military mm -hmm, and like mm -hmm. testing their superpowers. It's going to be Agent Drake. Yeah. 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 That's she, why she's so she, interested in Veronica's piece. She works for that secret military base. Yeah. Why? Why else would she be trying to get... You think she needs to be Veronica's business partner? She's not bringing anything to this business. She just wants to get close so she can, like, find a way to, to knock her out. I don't think chloroform would work on Veronica with her current biology. Yeah. Yeah. I think Tony and Fangs are going to reorganize the serpents mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to stand with them when the custody battle for baby Anthony Showing them that, like, we have this family, mm -hmm, and this mm -hmm. family will protect. We're more righteous than you, Kevin. Yeah. Also, if you try to steal our baby, we will kill you. <laughs> I think that there is unexplored potential that, that may come to bear later 
with Percival having the time capsule. He doesn't just have that beanie. He has Fred's old hammer that Archie put in. He has Reggie's football. He has Josie's original cat ears. Oh, dang. There's all sorts of shit that was in that time capsule. Dang. Way stronger totems than he had in the library episode. Yeah. I think, and we will never see this in the show, (laughs) but I think that Percival wears Jughead's clothes around his home. (laughs) (laughs) He just wants to be one of the cool kids. He just wants to fit in and, like, be one of those groovy cats. Oh, this is how people sit comfortably. Hmm. Hmm. A t-shirt, you say? How do you spell that? Hmm. Yes. I think Jughead's ability is going to let him find the soft spot between worlds. Yes. Now that he's in the sex hole. Yes. Which is, of course, where Rivervale resident turned author Jughead is creating the world. Yes. And he's going to use the infinite possibility of Vale to drive Percival out of Dale. Ah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I was thinking that this this will be how he, like, break, breaks the mm-hmm, mm-hmm. barrier and communicates. Because it's either this or filming a lot of scenes under uh, uh, Archie's bed, and you can't really squeeze a camera down there <laughs> where the bomb was. Yeah. It's not going to work. Yeah. But that's enough of what uh, uh, we think might happen. Let's talk about what we know is going to happen next week. American Psycho! Or, excuse me, not next week, in in two weeks' time. We're finally getting a break. This ends an 11 consecutive week run of Riverdale. Which is very long. Which is the longest. This is a new record for this show. There's been a a time or two of 10 episode stretches without a break, uh, a good number of 9 episode stretches, never before 11. And never again, I'm sure. Well, and it's really weird... Considering that the show airs on Sundays now, and there have been, like, several major holidays. I'm very surprised there was one this week for for Memorial Day. Easter was, it was Memorial Day and, like, the week of, like, Easter, Passover, everything else. Yeah, yeah, That I was, like, which is also, like, around when some spring breaks are, that I thought was very strange. They didn't skip a week for those, because normally that's what you do. But yes, so we are getting American Psycho. Yeah, they don't do much to point out that it's going to be the musical People episode. People who haven't been paying attention are going to be so confused. Uh, so the trailer isn't about putting on a show even at all. It's about SlaughterCon. Well, welcome to SlaughterCon, everybody. Kevin is wavering from Percival so he can protect Anthony from him, and he speaks to Cheryl about it. About how he can never forgive himself if they hurt the baby. Uh, Veronica is going to ask Betty if she's hot for Agent Drake? I don't know about that, but Agent Drake is definitely hot for (laughs) Betty. And at SlaughterCon, Betty is going to be uh, uh, on the dance floor, and TBK, or perhaps a TBK cosplayer, is staring at her from across the floor. Yes. That's going to be the thing, like who who's a real killer and who's just a killer fan, you know? Yeah. Th- this is obviously what Charles's trap is going to be. TBK coming to check out... SlaughterCon. SlaughterCon. Yes. I guess there's something in his file that hasn't come up before. I don't know. I feel like we need to do now, like, a second round of predictions about how this, like, the musical will be used. Yeah, because I still don't know. I thought it would be clearer when we got there. Now we're there, and I don't know. Yeah. 
again, nobody in the show is really a Patrick Bateman type. Nobody is the obsessed, upwardly mobile, ultra-shallow, consumerist avatar of the rotten soul of America. But now we are bringing together a whole bunch of super fans of serial killers who could be. Who could be. Or who could be into that sort of thing. Maybe it's just all the karaoke contest. And the only songs these people want to sing is from American Psycho the Musical. It could be something very, very surface level like that. It's very on theme. It's like that or Sweeney Todd. Like, what else are you going to pick from that's on theme? What are you... Assassins? Those guys only killed one guy each. Yeah, it doesn't really work. Could it be, like, TBK ironically singing about capitalism? Yeah. And that's why he's killing people? I don't know. For, For all of the TBK stuff we've gotten, we... We know very little about why he wants to kill, except that he has this very personal connection with Betty. Yes. Girls her age always just looking for their fathers in in every man, but... uh, (laughs) What if it's, like, Percival? What if it's Percival? Percival is TBK, you mean? No. Okay. No, I'm, like, still on the musical thing. I'm, like, trying to think about, like, how they will use it. Yeah, I still don't think he lines up for the same reasons I said a few weeks ago, but yeah, maybe... I, I, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. It could be like, uh, last year's, like the next to normal episode where they aren't using the song straight so much as they are really chopping them up and finding the individual bits and pieces that work for them that paid off much better when they did it next to normal than when they did it in Hedwig. When they did that in Hedwig, it was was trash. It was bad. It was so bad. But we'll find out in two weeks. We sure will. Uh, so that's all we have to talk about this week. Uh, we, we're going to be wishing, hoping, and waiting. Maybe there will be some some preview stuff coming at us that, that'll answer our, our musical questions before then uh, uh, with, like, promotional releases and, and whatnot. And if there are, one place you can look for them is on social media. We are at sex underscore Archie on Twitter, and we're always, always looking for fun stuff like that because I'm honestly curious. I don't know what to expect from this musical episode. And in the meantime, you can also uh, tell a friend. Mm-hmm, Word mm-hmm. of mouth goes a long way. In addition to that, playing the algorithm. So leave us a rating and review. Please, pretty please. We love you. I'm your best parasocial buddy, and I'm asking you as a personal favor, because we're so close. Oh, yeah. So with that, I'm Elena. I'm Grant, and from us here at Sex Archie, you will deliver the beanie onto me. 